Okay, hi, my name is Sharon, and I'm going to tell my story about how I survived suicide and came out on the other side. Um, when I was 17 years old, I had an abortion, and I greatly regretted it afterwards. Um, subconsciously, I was punishing myself. I de developed an eating disorder. I felt that I deserved to be punished for the rest of my life for what I did. And I remember looking at a, a bunch of pills and thinking, when I feel this way again someday, I'm going to just kill myself so I don't have to deal with the emotional pain. And that was always became like a crutch for me when I went through things as I grew older. So when I was about 26, I was engaged to someone and then he cheated on me and he left and I was really depressed and I lost um, 10 pounds in a weekend. And I thought that was normal because that's that was my normal my whole life. So when I came to work, everyone was staring at me like, oh, my God. So I guess I looked a lot thinner. They're like, we have to feed you. We'll take you out to lunch. Um, but, you know, I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But so that is how I, I cope whenever I get really sad. I just kind of physically melt down while I emotionally melt down. So then I got married. I had children. And uh, when my daughter was born, the second she came out, she was colicky, and the second she came out, I was depressed. But I didn't know at the time about postpartum. It was a while ago. It was 26 years ago. And so, yeah, I went to the doctor two weeks after, and she's like, how are you feeling? I was like, yeah, I'm feeling kind of down. And she goes, oh, everyone gets blue. And if she had just asked a little more, I would have said, well, I want to throw my child out the window. I don't want to be a mother, and I can't believe I did this. So then I'm sure that she would have sent me to get the help I needed. But once again, I didn't realize that this was a physical problem. Even though it's a mental illness, it's also, it feels very physical for me. So then move up to 2006, and I asked my husband for a divorce, and it was very amicable. Um, it just, he, we weren't meant to be together our whole lives, but yet I went into the deepest depression. I lost like 30 pounds in three weeks. Everyone came up to me, you know, do you have cancer? Because I guess I looked so horrible. And I knew, and I, at that point I knew I was depressed. So I got help. I went on meds and I stopped losing weight and I cried a tiny bit less. So I figured, okay, I'm better. Well, I go off the pills cause I'm having surgery and I had to take Ambien cause I was having, I was bleeding internally, but I didn't know it at the time inside a cast. And so you can imagine the pain. So I said, Oh, I'm just gonna go off the pills because Ambien doesn't really agree with me and I didn't need depression and, you know, Ambien mixing all those pills. So I went off the pills and I took the Ambien and I was able to sleep that night. And then the next day I was like, oh, you know, I kind of feel the same. Yeah, oh, forget it. You know, just forget the pills. You know, I'm not losing weight anymore. I'm fine. And I was anything but fine because as the years wore on, I didn't leave my house. I was very isolated. I did a little attempt in like 2010. 10 pills doesn't do anything, I, I found out. I didn't tell anyone. I never told anyone about my feelings. But when I moved to the city in 2011 and I saw that my life wasn't just totally changing because I moved, uh, I decided I started hoarding pills. I made a will in 2012 for my children. I mean, I planned it for a for 10 years. I planned this. I was very high functioning at work. I was very, I'm very type A that way. So I thought, if I have happy times, then how can I be depressed? So I was like, okay, I'm not depressed. When I would go visit my children at my ex-husband's house, 
I would be so happy seeing them. And on the way home on the train, I would be crying like a prisoner who's going back to solitary because I was going back to my lonely existence. Well, they, you know, my kids were now part of another family and it was beautiful. And, and I was all alone. And at this point, my demons were telling me, you're a loser. You're going to be alone your entire life. You're not meant to be with anyone and you don't deserve it because you had an abortion when you were 17. And, and everything after that, after age 17 was, you deserve to be punished. You deserve to be punished. So that's how I lived my life. And then a week before July 4th weekend in 2016, I was in my apartment the entire weekend. It was a gorgeous summer weekend. I was watching people out the window and I just couldn't even motivate myself to walk outside. And that's when I decided I can't do this anymore. And I had thought about suicide before, but I, something clicked and I knew I could do it. Like all of a sudden, yay, I could do it, right? I go to work the next day because I'm very responsible. I wanted to return the work computer. And I mean, it sounds so weird when I talk about this, but I printed out a couple of notes. I, I left that night and I was like, okay, I'm going to go home, get undressed and, you know, take my pills and go to sleep. And that's exactly what I did. And I took, I don't need to say the amount, but I took a lot of pills. So I, I never woke up from that for a while, but in the middle of this, the next morning at work, they missed me because I'm very responsible. I was always there exactly at 810 and that's, we're Sharon, we're Sharon. And of course they called me, no one answered. And they were like, what do we do? What do we do? And the HR guy's like, they have to wait until 12 o'clock. So it wasn't the regular person because she would have called me immediately. So how do we get in touch with Sharon's daughter? Because they had met her before she had stopped by. And then my friend Deborah had Morgan's resume because my daughter was looking for a job. She had just graduated college and Deborah's boss was very well connected. And I don't believe in coincidences because every single piece of this fell into place for it to happen. So then Deborah remembered the resume. She, they called Morgan and they said, where's your mom? She's not at work. And you know Morgan knows how responsible I am. And Morgan said, what do you mean she's not at work? There's something wrong because I know my mom and she's always at work. So she called my front desk. I was living in, in New York City. I'm not sure how she even had that number. And she said, you got to get upstairs. Something wrong with my mom. So the super and another guy went upstairs and they found me. And I was, I was like 5% alive at that point. Um, I was gray. I was foaming at the mouth, which meant that my heart was stopping. And they called right away. The EMTs came. They, um, they had to intubate me immediately. Then I got to the hospital. And then they did all the kinds of things that they do for overdose patients. And that first night, because I was intubated, I was told this, they gave me propofol. And then the next morning, they he took it off, the doctor took it out and, and said, okay, you know, now she'll wake up. And I was pretty much in a coma for about a week. So they thought I was going to die. And this, you know, my children at the time were like, I don't know, 20, 22, something like that. You know, they didn't deserve to have to go through this. But so when I did wake up five days later, and I also caught pneumonia, by the way, but when I did wake up and seeing my children's eyes, oh my God, I knew I'm never doing this again. I mean, first of all, waking up from a coma is a nightmare to begin with, but seeing your loved ones there. And so, and I remember this was soon after I was coherent and my mom said, it's okay. You're depressed. You'll get the help you need. And all of a sudden I saw the light bulb because truthfully, I didn't think it was depression. I thought I was meant to be alone. I was a loser. I should be punished for the abortion. I was never going to be happy. And the only way to end the pain was to die. And as soon as my mom said that my type A personality kicked in and I thought, well, A, I can't do this again to my children or my family. But B, I said, wow, I could get better. Like 
I could, I could actually get better and live my life. And so I stayed in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And then I went to the institution for a couple of weeks where they just regulate your meds. But even there, I was talking to other people and I was just like, they were like, why do you seem okay? And I was just like, because I know now that I can get better. It's not just, you know, I'm not meant to be miserable for the rest of my life. So when I got back um, home, I went into an outpatient for a couple of weeks and the people were saying the same things that I felt. Like, you know, they couldn't make themselves go to a birthday party that was very important to them, but they just couldn't go. And they felt they were losers. No one would miss them. I didn't think my kids would miss me. I seriously did not think my children would miss me. I actually sent them a text the day before I overdosed. And I just wrote, I love you. Even though I thought my kids wouldn't miss me. And my son ignored it as usual. And my daughter wrote, why are you saying that? And I said, because I love you. I always say that. She goes, no, you only say it after we have a conversation. And luckily she dropped it. But uh, I can't imagine if I had died and my son didn't respond to the text and he would have had that guilt forever. But I was talking to heaven saying, I'm so sorry that I'm inconveniencing you by coming up there. You know, I'll see you soon. So when people try to rationalize suicide, you can't rationalize something that's irrational. And no one should ever feel guilty if they didn't see someone who was, you know, not who was mentally ill. It's okay. It's, it's not... It's not, how do I put this? Okay. If you're, if someone's like me, they hide it really well. And when they're with you, they're happy because they're out of the house and they're actually with company. So it's that little reprieve. It's not your fault. It's not up to you to see it unless someone comes out and says, yeah, maybe I feel like dying. Maybe not. Life's not worth living. But there are a lot of people like me. They don't say that. We didn't, I never gave a hint that I was hoarding pills. I mean, I was, putting everything together nicely for a few years. It wasn't a sudden thing. And, um, and then I wrote a book. I'm a, a, writer, a writer by trade. And I wrote a book when I came out. And it's called 69th Street Suicide. It's on Amazon. And I totally explained my life and what I was thinking behind the actions and the thoughts. Because especially lost survivors, I want you to realize that our demons make us very sick. Our, our brains are not normal at all. Like if someone said to me, oh, you know, I can't make it to lunch today. Well, right away, it's because they don't like me. I'm a loser. And they were only going to, they're just being nice to me, spending a little time with me, but they just couldn't deal. So they canceled. So every little thing that happens, it's not, it's not taking, it's not thought, it's not processed normally. So I just want, I want people to know the thoughts and feelings that people who suffer from mental illness have, because again, you can't rationalize something that's irrational. I also want to get it out there. It's okay if you try to kill yourself. It's okay to say the word suicide. You know what? So many people are doing it. It's okay. We need to do this. If I could save one person by doing this, then it's okay. And I know I've already helped some people because they've told me. But I mean, every day on my Facebook page, I'm putting someone else, you know, that this is the face of suicide. It's like every day I could choose from three people. And they're young. You know, one was 35, one was 12. What does a 12-year-old know about suicide that they feel that they had to do it? So my message is, A, if you really want to know what goes on in uh, someone's head, read my, and I'm not saying this for you to buy my book and me to make money because I spent a lot of money on this book. I totally did not do it for the money. It's called 69th Street Suicide, spelled out. Uh, I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. And if you've even just want to talk to me if you feel that you're in trouble and you feel maybe you're comfortable speaking to me because I'm so open about it, please do that.
that would make it would make me so happy to help you. So in the end, that's my last thought. Suicide is not a bad word. It's mental illness. It's not controllable. And if you see something or you hear something with what I said and you're thinking, oh, wait, maybe I'm not, you know, a loser either. Get help. If you, if you can't do it alone. There's no way that anyone could really do it alone. Get help. It's okay to ask for help. And if someone judges you, do you really want to be friends with that person anyway? Because a couple of people made comments and I was like, well, two friends are gone now because, you know, they're judging me. But the rest of my friends really stayed with me. And now I'm a totally healthy person. I never think about suicide, whereas I used to think about it 24 hours a day. And I moved to Florida. I got out of New York City during COVID. And I, I was a decision that was made in five seconds, which I couldn't do anything, you know, four years ago. And that, and it's the best thing I ever did. And now I'm living. And I always thought, I hope one day I can say I'm happy. And I can finally say I'm truly happy. Not perfect. You know, I'm still single. Nothing, but nothing's perfect. But relatively, I am happy. I made new friends here. I'm social. and. I can't believe that I got through this, but I did. So I hope that you take my message to heart and you get through it too. Or if you're a lost survivor, again, it's not your fault. Please don't feel guilty. A lot of us hide it really well. Thank you so much for being willing to come on to Silent Journeys and sharing your story, Sharon. I appreciate your vulnerability. Oh, of course. <clears throat> I want to help people. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the whole point of this show too, is to amplify stories and share them so that others can hear um, the, the journeys that so many other people have to go through um, and show that you're really not alone, that there are other people with similar experiences. And um, so don't talk about it. Yep. If you would like to share your story, uh, you can do so by visiting my website, msbevins.com. Uh, you can find my email address or I also have a contact form and I would love to connect with you and have and give you the opportunity to use this platform to also share your story. And if you'd like to hear other stories like Sharon's, you can also do so on my website or anywhere that you get your audio. And if you want to amplify this one and help others hear it, you can do so by sharing, rating and reviewing on your audio app of choice. Thank you so much for listening in on Silent Journeys. Sharon, thank you again. Thank you, Michael.